Well, for the past five Sundays, we have been looking at the responses that people had to Jesus and the message of Christ after they encountered him. And so today, even though it's a week before Palm Sunday that we normally celebrate as a church, I felt it was important for us to just prepare our hearts as we're leading into these next couple of weeks to think about this. Because today, as we look at John chapter 12, we see in that one chapter of the Bible a microcosm of people from various walks of life and various experiences encountering Jesus and then how they responded to Christ. And there's things that we can learn from what we read about them as we look at it in comparison to our own life today in this culture and the things that we deal with as we think about Christ and who he is. So in John chapter 12, we see that Christ and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem. It's about a week before or a few days before the crucifixion. And there was a town about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. It was called Bethany. And Jesus spent a lot of time there because he had some besties there. Uh, his best friends were some siblings uh, that lived together there. There was Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. And as we read in the New Testament, there were several interactions between Jesus and, and these siblings, this family. And one of the, significance, one of the significant ones was that Lazarus had actually become sick and died, and Jesus was out of town when that happened, but Jesus came there into the community, into their home, after Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus brought him back to life, physically, bodily. Lazarus rose from the dead by the power of Christ. And so this is why there was this relationship with this family that was very special, and so today as we look at it, let's just pick it up in John chapter 12, the first three verses. And again, I just got a reference on the screen for you, but I encourage you to open up your Bibles. If you've got a Bible app, you can get it on your phone or whatever device you might have with you. And also we have our sermon notes available, so I put the scriptures on those that are available through the uh, Uversion Bible app. And you can just do a search under events in Porterfield, uh, and you'll find that every Sunday during these time periods. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made a supper for him, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So here in just these first three verses, we see these three siblings. And we see three different responses to Jesus based on their understanding of him and their relationship with him. So the first one I'd like for us to kind of focus on is Mary. Because Mary did this kind of odd act that seemed very unusual but as they were sitting there at the, at the table, we don't know exactly at what point this was, but again, they were there uh, getting ready to have their dinner probably after, but we just don't know. But anyway, Mary's response to Jesus was worshipful generosity. And by that, I mean she really valued Jesus. 
She understood how important he was in their lives personally and in the lives of the community. But I believe even more than that, she was beginning to get a clear picture of the value of Jesus to the world. And she wanted to honor him as the king of her life, but also really the king of the entire world. And so this gift that she brought that was very expensive, she had had to save up a lot to get this. And we don't know if she got this particular uh, oil to save for maybe a family member who was going to be buried, because oftentimes that's what they would do. They would use oils and spices and different things after a body was dead to put on the body, because again, in that culture, uh, they didn't have the type of things like we have today. And so typically what they would do is they would take someone who had died and they would place them in some type of a cave or a rock or a tomb. There was a lot of places like that in, in the culture, still is today. And anyway, that would be basically the, the family grave. They would place a body in there after they had anointed it with the spices, oils, because as the body decays, it doesn't smell good. And then uh, that would kind of help hold down the smell. It was also a form of respect and dignity for your loved one who had died. And then literally what would happen is as that body decayed over time, eventually all that would be left in that tomb or in that grave would be the bones. And then they could take the bones of their loved one, put it in a box called an ossuary, and they would either leave it there in the tomb or take it to their home or whatever like people do today with uh, those who are cremated. Oftentimes, you know, they'll have the cremains they bring back into their home or whatever. But the point is this, that grave became just that continual place that their loved ones could, could be buried. So that was kind of the idea behind what's all this deal about anointing with oil and these spices and, and why did she do this? Well, Jesus mentions in verse 7 of that passage because there were some people there at the table that were like, why is, she, why is she doing this to Jesus and why now? And Jesus said, just leave her alone because she's kept this for my burial. Jesus knew that Mary understood and had listened, actually listened to him when he talked. She didn't just pretend to be religious and sit there and be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here with these other people and act like I'm paying attention when I'm really not. But she literally would listen to Jesus. And so when he had talked about his death and how he was going to die, she believed him. She understood it. And here's the thing. She had seen Jesus literally bring her brother back to life after four days of being dead and placed in a tomb. And so she knew that Jesus had the power, if he had the power to raise her brother from the dead, then even though he was going to die, though she didn't understand it, she quite likely thought, well, somehow, if Lazarus didn't stay dead, Jesus is going to come back to life. And so she didn't want to wait until he died. She wanted to do this for him while he was still living. This kind of reminds me of that old saying. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's talking about, you know, give someone their flowers while they're alive. And, and that implication is don't wait till someone dies to send flowers to the funeral home. Though that's very important, and, and I've been on the receiving end of that as a family member when you see those kind of shows of, of love and sympathy. It's, it means a lot. So I'm not downplaying that. But the saying means if somebody is important to you, don't wait till it's too late to tell them and you tell everybody else, tell them while they're still alive. Let them know. And this is what Mary was doing for Jesus. She said, I am not going to wait until you die. I want you to know right now how valuable you are to me. And I'm anointing you with this oil. And I'm acknowledging you as the, the king and the Lord of my life. Again, this fragrant oil that she used was prepared from the roots uh, and stems of an aromatic herb from northern India. And it was 
again, very expensive because it was hard to get a hold of and, and process. So what does all that have to do with you and I today? Well, think about this. What is your response to Jesus in, in your life? Is he really valuable to you? Or is he just somebody that is like, well, I know he's important and so he's somebody I think about and I know I probably ought to serve him and I probably ought to do these different things, but there's other things that are more important in my life. And so if we're going to respond the way that Mary did, we need to really begin to consider the value of Jesus, who he is, what he offers us. And then our response to that ought to be, as even Tracy mentioned in the, uh, about the music today, a worshipful response, but also worshiping with him with generosity, being willing to give financially into the work of the church. Now, this may sound self-serving, but I want you to think about this. The scripture says that we today, as his followers, are the body of Christ, Right? The Apostle Paul talks about it all the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about everybody that has accepted Christ and is part of his church, refer to it as his body. And God has gifted each one of us with different spiritual gifts and abilities, and it takes all of us working together to do his work in the world. You are gifted in some ways that I am not. I've been given gifts in some ways that maybe somebody else hasn't. But as we all use those gifts, then collectively we're making a difference for good in the world, just like your own physical body has the fingers, the hands, the arms, the legs, all the different parts of our body that serve different functions, but together they help us to be healthy and to accomplish things. This is the picture of the church. So, if you are going to minister to the body of Jesus like Mary did with worshipful generosity, there is certainly nothing wrong with you giving of your finances into the work of the Lord in the church, the body of Christ. So I'm not saying this because we're doing a fundraising campaign. We're not. Uh, I'm not saying this because we're desperate for money. We're not. Praise God. He has been faithful, and I appreciate everybody that gives. I am sharing this with you as a spiritual principle to say, if you're really going to think about how am I responding to Jesus, then am I willing to worship like Mary did and give financially into his body and even to be extravagant with it, with it because I love Jesus and I want to see his work continue. So do you gladly give? Um, here's another little caution for you. Sometimes people give generously into the church. Sometimes the church does projects in the, for the community or for outreach. And some people are like, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, I know, I know we, we need to be good stewards. And I'm glad we do this in the church. I'm glad they do money for that. But boy, I don't know. I see them spending an awful lot of money over here, and I just don't agree with that. See, you got to be careful because it's easy for us to read this story and think, oh, it doesn't apply to me at all. I'm good. But if what I just said kind of convicts you or speaks to your heart, then that's a check maybe that Jesus is saying you need to think about your response to me. So again, this was an extravagant gift that Mary did because she loved Jesus and wanted to, to honor him. And so it is today with people who give for various reasons and various ministries into the life of the church. Now let's think about Martha, because we see Martha had a different response, and her response was sacrificial service. Uh, look at it again in verse 2. It says, there they made him suffer, uh, supper, <laughs> made him supper, and Martha served. 
Martha, this was the kind of person she was. She was a doer. She was busy. I think acts of service was probably her love language. That was the way that she showed her love for people and for her family. She wanted to help them out. She wanted to do things. The problem was sometimes in her sacrificial serving, she got so busy on doing the act of the serving that she wasn't enjoying the relationship with the people that she served. Can I get an amen from anybody? I'm not asking for that, but do you know anybody like that? Somebody is always busy, busy, busy doing this, doing that, and they're not really taking the time to enjoy being with the family or with your loved ones. I, I, I do a lot of marital counseling, and I hear that kind of a lot sometimes. You know, we can get so busy doing our stuff, and then we drift apart sometimes in our relationship. Well, this, though Martha, her response to Jesus was good, and she wanted to serve sacrificially, there were times that it caused her to miss the joy of just the presence of Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, I do not have that on the screen, but just listen to this, because Luke records this incident that had happened earlier in Martha's relationship with Jesus. Once again, he was at their house, and uh, we'll pick it up here in Luke 10, 38. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? I love that sibling rivalry. You know, there's always that comparison. And like, I can't get any help here. But the Lord answered her, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen what's best, and it won't be taken from her. What happened was... Mary, again, because she really saw the value of Jesus when he was at their house. I mean, yeah, she probably helped a little bit with supper or whatever, but in this case she wasn't, and she was just listening to Jesus teach because she felt like what he's got to say is more important right now than anything else I have on my mind or that I have to do. And so she was sitting there listening to Jesus. Martha was trying to do all this stuff, getting ready to serve him, serve the disciples, fixing everything. And Martha was frustrated. She's like, Lord, can't you tell... Mary, to help me a little bit here. And instead of Jesus saying, oh, yes, Martha, sure, I'll do that. He said, no, Martha, you know, you worry about a lot of stuff. You really worry too much. And Mary has got the priorities right. What she's doing is really valuable right now. And I'm not going to take that away from her. So sometimes in our service for Jesus in the church, so again, I don't know who this may apply to, but if, if this is you, we, you need to think about that response. Absolutely, we should serve Christ sacrificially and give of our time to serve and make sure that the ministry is going on. But in the busyness of that, don't lose the connection of the relationship that you were in with Christ. Make sure that you're enjoying that and appreciating that. Even in the midst of all your responsibilities and your obligations, make sure that you're taking time just to catch your breath a little bit and maybe to sit back and actually be ministered to a change. I encourage people here at church, and I appreciate all of our wonderful volunteers and those who are using their gifts in ministry here in various ways. I'm so grateful for all of you, but I get concerned about some that I see every Sunday doing this position, that position, and they don't take the time to just maybe come in here for a Sunday and sit and worship and listen to the music and engage and listen to the message and hear what God is speaking uh, to his church through whomever is speaking. I get concerned about that. And so I'll tell people, hey, make sure that you tell whoever is over the ministry or if you're over that ministry, give your people a chance to have a break. And let them enjoy the presence of the Lord. I know in my own life as a pastor, 
Um, I, I've gotten that way uh, in, in these years. I'm grateful that the church is able to support us financially to where I can focus my time and my energy into the work of ministry full time. Uh, I don't need to do another type of work to gain income so I can focus my time. But even at that, there have been times where I've realized, Lord, I'm sorry. I am so busy thinking about this meeting and that person that's got to be ministered to and this person and all these things that I got to do. And I realized I was kind of drifting and not feeling close to the Lord. And so I had to talk to the Lord about it and, and say, please help me to just kind of slow down and help me to be able to just enjoy this presence that you offer me through your Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the third person this morning that was there at the table, that third sibling, the brother, Lazarus. He represents those who have experienced some kind of powerful experience from the Lord in their life. Now, obviously, Lazarus was raised from the dead. You really can't get much more powerful than that. Uh, but there are other people who maybe you've gone through a really dark time in your life, and you experienced somehow God's presence in the midst of that, and he brought you out of that dark time. It could have been a health issue. It could have been a relationship issue. It could have been, you know, who knows? There's so many things that we deal with in life. But you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was Jesus who has cared about you enough to bring you through that and bring you out of that. And so you get to a point where you just realize, oh my gosh, I, I you know, I, if I lost everything, Lord, you are still the most important thing forever. Well, Lazarus experienced that. And so as it says here, I'll read it again. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. This is the part I kind of chuckle at or smile. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Lazarus was just happy to be there. <laughs> He's just like, man, you know, this could have been so different. And because of Jesus, he has restored me to my family, and I'm here. And how could I do anything else but to just hang out with Jesus right now? I mean, I just want to hang out with him. And there's also a bit of a foreshadowing here because Jesus had talked to his disciples about even though we all go through physical death, um, God has a plan beyond this and he's going to eventually set up his kingdom. He's going to regenerate everything, a new heavens, a new earth. I may talk about this a little bit on Easter Sunday, but I really believe a lot of things that we encounter like sleeping and waking and like the seasons that change are all object lessons that God has given us in his creation, in nature, to show us that he's going to do the same thing in this entire universe. His timetable is a lot different than ours because he's eternal. So to us, it might seem like that's slow, 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 but to him, it's just right on time. And so in the same way that we experience new seasons and new life, and every morning we have an opportunity to open our eyes and begin a new day, Jesus is going to set up a new eternal kingdom. He talked about it. It's, it's referenced in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when Jesus would talk about this new kingdom that he was going to set up, that would include not only the nation of Israel, but anyone that would come to him from, from all the different nations, there was going to come a time when they would all come to that feast in the kingdom, and he would be there at the table with them. Again, it's, it's a metaphor of this relationship that Christ offers us. And we need to understand that that's an invitation that we need to respond to now, but the event's going to happen later. 
And we really see a picture of this because here is, Jesus, or here is Jesus sitting at the table with Lazarus, one who he had raised from the dead, and they're hanging out together, having a meal together. This is kind of like a picture of heaven, just one little glimpse of it. So in your life, if you've experienced that kind of powerful experience with Christ and he's brought you through something, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. You're just so grateful even though you still go through maybe struggles and trials, you're just so grateful because you have seen God's presence in your life in the past, or maybe you're experiencing it right now, and so it, it just helps you to trust Him for the future. It's people that respond like Lazarus did really put that emphasis on connecting with Jesus. So they do it through reading and studying His written word. They do it through taking time to just pray and meditate and reflect. Um, and they do it through also enjoying the fellowship of other believers, the friendship of other people in the church. And so I would just encourage you, if you've made a decision for Christ and you kind of put some of this stuff on the back burner, maybe you ought to think about the response of Lazarus. And I pray that God does move powerfully in your life so that you can experience his presence. But you know, not everybody that was sitting around the table that day felt the same way. In fact, let's read on a little more in verses 4 through 6. And we see the response of Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' own disciples, who when Mary did this act of worship and broke this uh, vial and put the anointed Jesus with oil, with the anointed his body with that oil, look at what it says in verse 4 of John 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, John, who wrote this, another one of Jesus' disciples, remember, this was written after the fact, so John's just recording the events. John gives a commentary here about Judas because he had seen things, not only, of course, when Judas betrayed Jesus, but they started thinking back and seeing Judas' behavior when he was with them as one of the disciples. And look at what John writes here in John 12, 6. This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Judas was the treasurer for the ministry of Jesus. He really was. And so here's something else that we can learn. We, you know, we often think that because Jesus was the son of God and he was a miracle worker and because he turned the water into wine and because he... Uh, could feed the 5,000 with just a few fish and, and a few loaves of bread, that, that, that they just went around and everywhere they went, Jesus was doing all this stuff and providing for the disciples. That is not the way it was. Jesus was modeling, again, the importance of ministry and supporting ministry. And so as we read, we get these little hints here and there about people who supported Jesus and his disciples as they traveled, just like Mary and Martha did. They invited him into their home. They let him stay there so they maybe wouldn't have to pay uh, somebody to let them stay at a place. Um, they, uh, they purchased uh, food for them or they gave them money so that they could buy food. Or in this case, they were preparing a meal for him. Remember, hospitality in this culture was extremely important for everybody because they didn't have hotels and they didn't have fast food chains like we have today. So everybody kind of looked out for each other. But we can see that also people contributed to the ministry of Jesus through giving of finances. And again, Judas Iscariot was the treasurer. He was the one that held those donations, and then he would disperse it. And it seems like he allowed greed to affect him a little bit, 
and he would take some of it and just kind of set it aside for maybe later use. Now, Judas was not worried about the poor because later when Judas betrayed Jesus, again, we see his greed, he was willing to betray someone who he had seen miracles work and who had been a friend to him. He was willing to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. So again, this shows Judas's greedy heart. When Judas got that money, did he give it to the poor? Oh, he was so spiritual. Oh, why would you waste all that money? You should sell that and take that money and give it to the poor. Look at how spiritual I am. And yet when he got the 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus, did he take it and give it to the poor? Oh, no. You see, there's a lot of people that are very vocal, and they sound really spiritual and religious. And they'll lecture you and I on what we should and shouldn't do, like whether you should read Dr. Seuss or not. Or whether you should do certain things or speak out about certain things. Oh, they're really great about telling you how virtuous they are. Oh, because they just got it all together. Don't let the smoke screen fool you. And we can be just as bad about it in the church. So we have to be careful when we talk about issues. And we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth in love. And we need to make sure that we're listening to people even as we're speaking, but this was Judas. And so his response to his encounter with Jesus was disappointment and rejection and betrayal. Now, before you start thinking that you're better than Judas, I want you to think about this. Judas was disappointed in Jesus because Jesus didn't live up to Judas's expectation of him. Judas was looking at Jesus saying, man, this is awesome. Look at this guy. He's got power. He, he is performing miracles. He's getting crowds. He's gaining in popularity. Surely he is the Messiah. He's going to set up government in Israel, and he is going to overthrow the Roman government, and we're finally going to be free of all this governmental control, and we'll be free of Rome, and Jesus is going to be president, and I'm going to be on his administration. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a position of power. And then when Jesus said, I'm going to be put to death because people are going to reject me and they're not going to believe in me. G Judas was like, what is this guy talking about? And then when Jesus didn't always do the things that Judas thought he should do, Judas is like, man, he's starting to be a real disappointment, you know? He's just, I mean, I know he's got some power and stuff, but he's just not living up to what I thought that he was going to do. And because of Judas's disappointment, because Jesus didn't live up to what his expectations were, Judas began to reject Jesus. Now, before you think you're better than Judas, how many of you started out with a faith in Jesus? And you gave your life to him, and you thought life was going to be just cherry and great. And you thought everything was going to start going right. And then the first trouble came, and then the second disappointment. And you prayed for something, and maybe Jesus didn't answer your prayer the way that you thought he should. And you started getting disappointed. And you're like, you know what? This Jesus just isn't living up to what I expected. I'm, I'm just disappointed in him. I'm, in fact, I'm disappointed with the whole Christianity thing. I'm just fed up, so I reject it. And then sometimes you'll go so far as to not only reject it, but you'll betray it. You'll start working for the causes that fight against Christianity. And the things that Jesus said are true. And the things that we should do. And the things we ought not do. And you'll begin to reject it and betray it. Be careful. 
don't respond like Judas did. If you don't think you've encountered Jesus yet, I say this on the authority of the Word of God and His Holy Spirit, you're encountering Him right now. You are encountering Jesus right now through me, through His Holy Spirit. It's not about me, I'm just a messenger. But we are encountering the Holy Word of Christ and His Holy Spirit direction. So don't think that you're not encountering Jesus right now. And when you walk out these doors today, you will be giving a response. The question is, what will your response be? You see, the chief priests, they had a response too. Their response was unbelief and persecution because they started just hating Jesus because they viewed Jesus as a threat. And look at what it says here in John chapter 12, verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, talking about Jesus, coming for the festival. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So you see this thing that Jesus had done for Lazarus, obviously in that day, everybody was talking about it, word had spread. And so they not only wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus. I'm sure they would be like you and I. They're like, Lazarus, tell us about this. What in the world? Like, tell me what you experienced. What's it like to be dead? What's it like to be raised from the dead? And so they really sought Lazarus out as much as they did Jesus. This is the importance of you and I being willing to give testimony to what Christ has done in our life. Maybe you haven't been raised from the dead physically, but maybe you have been raised from the dead spiritually. Maybe God's given you some extreme new insights and you've experienced his power in your life, or maybe he's delivered you from an addiction or something you struggled with for years and now you've been set free of it and you're so happy and you want to tell people about what Christ has done and the difference he's making in your life. This is important. But there will be those who don't want to hear that message. And let's look on verse 10. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. There are people in the world right now who view Christianity as a threat. Um, they view it as a threat to their power, their influence, and how they want to live. Because the scripture does tell us what is sin or what is displeasing to God and what pleases God. And it's really not a do and don't list. I mean, that's kind of the evidence of it. It really is a hard issue of do you really love God? Or do you, are you open to learning more about him? Or do you think you know it all? Or you believe in everything you've been taught in school about evolution and all this stuff without hearing any kind of opposing reasoning because it's been eliminated in a lot of our school systems. Like, you know, it used to be the Bible was included and evolution was a theory. Now it's evolution is true and the Bible is a theory. Well, no, it's just a fairy tale. And they're not even willing to have a debate about it. And it's that way in a lot of things. That's why there is a cancel culture that we're talking about. Anytime people are opposed to having a debate or really listening. And as Christians, I say this, we need to be careful to not get caught up in that same mindset. We need to be willing to listen, show respect, but then be ready to give a response. And pray that God will guide us into the truth. Well, the chief priests, they didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. They were upset with him. And they just wanted him to be put to death and any of his followers, especially Lazarus. And again, today in our culture, there is this movement of people who feel threatened by Christianity and what the Bible says. So rather than taking it for what it has said and how cultures have been led by it for centuries and centuries and centuries... Now they're trying to, quote-unquote, cancel it, you know. 
If you're a follower of Jesus and you believe this, then you're a homophobe or you're a, you're a thisphobe, you're a xenophobe, you're whatever. They'll put a label on you. They want to get rid of you. They want to silence you because it goes against what they want to do and how they want to live. They don't really want to be accountable to anyone and certainly not to God. I know this makes us very uncomfortable, but I have to ask myself that question even as a follower of Jesus. Lord, what am I doing even as your follower? That, am I picking and choosing what you say is okay and not okay? Am I trying to justify my actions? Because we're all guilty of sin. And I raise my hand and I tell you publicly, I, I am a sinner. But I've been forgiven of that sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't desire to live in that sin. And so I pray and ask God every day to help me to live in a way that honors you and help me to put aside those things that I know are displeasing to you and help me to walk in, in, in love and in appreciation for what you're doing in my life. Now, I don't know how you respond. I'm just being real with you all. And I don't do it perfectly. But there are those who the ultimate end goal of all of this is to silence Christianity and the Bible. So just be aware, be forewarned, and understand that that mindset is in the world. And we need to make sure that we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I just want to say one more thing, and I, I know it, it aggravates people, but it has to be said. Jesus and the gospel are greater than your politics. Jesus and the gospel are greater than your politics. So if you're looking for somehow, if we just get the right government people in there, and we get the right person and president and the right Congress, and I believe all that's important, so don't, you know, don't get me going on that. But I, I'm, I'm being real with you. It doesn't matter who is in there because they're fallible human beings. They cannot save you. Jesus can. And the gospel is greater than any political system or any political government in this world. Because there are people right now over in Islamic countries that don't have the, the kind of government that we have. They're being beheaded for their faith simply because they believe in Jesus. That's it. Because again, there is such an opposition to this. And they're not waiting for somebody to save them through the government. They're trusting their Savior Christ because they know there's a kingdom beyond this governmental system. And that's going to be forever. And so you really better realign yourself and make sure that you're keeping your focus on the true leader who is Christ and his kingdom. Because Jesus is greater than the Republican Party. He's greater than the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, any party that you want to be a part of. He is greater than all of those. And those parties will not save you but Jesus will. So we go to the last response. This is found in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Who are the Greeks? They were just simply people who were not of the Jewish faith and of the Israeli nation. They were, uh, as, as it's translated, the Hellenes, which that's why sometimes Greeks were referred to as Hellenists. But again, they were from these Greek colonies and they had that Greek culture, but it also became just a general term for anybody that wasn't of the nation of Israel. So now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it 
for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So the view of the Greeks was curiosity. They were what we would call today seekers. They haven't made up their mind yet. They're just kind of still checking this Jesus thing out, and they're trying to decide what to believe. If that's you today, listening to this message, whether here or online, I thank you for being open to what Jesus is speaking to you, and I would encourage you to continue to check this out. This is why we're here. We want to share the message of Christ. We want to teach uh, what Christ taught, and we want to honor him with our lives. And we're still in that learning process ourselves. But Jesus made a point that he knew that it was about time for his culmination to come and him to die and to rise again because when he heard that people outside of Israel were coming to learn about him, he's saying, this is what it's all about. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again, and there's going to be many more people across the world that will come to faith in me because this is for anyone who would believe. So what's your response to Jesus today? Are you responding with worshipful gratitude or a sacrificial service? Or are you just happy to be here, just that kind of in fellowship and friendship? Um, are you maybe a little disappointed right now with God or with Christianity? Uh, what about, um, do you feel threatened by it? Or do you want to understand it more? Would you stand? Here is an invitation no matter where you're at, there's still time to turn to him. In John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, it says this, talking about Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Contrary to what we are hearing a lot, in our culture today, it is not about your race. It is not about the color of your skin. It is not about your ethnicity. What matters is God gave you life, and if you, no matter the color of your skin or race or ethnicity or any of that, will turn to Jesus and believe in him, then you are a child of God, and you're part of the family of God, and we are brothers and sisters together, part of his eternal family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for really making it easy for us or at least clear that there's not 20,000 different ways to you. You yourself came and showed us the way and you paid the way through your perfect sinless life in Christ, your death on the cross and then conquering death and then offering your Holy Spirit to be with us today, even in this generation, to all who would hear and respond. Forgive us, Lord, when we've rejected you in the past. And I pray right now, if there's any listening to this message who you've brought to a point where they're ready to make a decision, I pray right now that you just help them to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I don't understand all of this, but I want to respond in the right way to you. So I'm asking you to please help me. Forgive me of my sin. And... Lord, help me to start understanding more about you. Help me to live for you because I need the help. But I'm willing, Lord, to follow you. And I'm willing to worship you. And so I receive you into my life. Thank you for dying for my sins and rising again. And, and just please help me live for you. And come into my spirit and, and, and fill my spirit with your presence.
And Lord, for those who have already done that, but maybe they've drifted, been influenced by a lot of stuff and circumstances in the culture, just help them right now to pray, Lord, I recommit my life to you because I realize I haven't really been responding in the right way. And so, Lord, help me now to recommit my life to you and just help me enjoy this journey and to keep growing in my relationship with you and be used of you in whatever way you want for your glory and for the good of me and my family and all around me. In your precious name, amen. Let's sing. And as always, as we sing, if you'd like to come to the front and pray, you are welcome to do that. I want you to feel comfortable doing that. I know with the, the, the virus makes it difficult, but just I want people to have the freedom. But you can pray right where you stand or right where you sit. But respond. Respond to Jesus.
And uh, just there's three things that I want to mention as far as like responding to Jesus. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus said that you are to make that public, and we do that through the waters of baptism. Uh, that's what water baptism is all about. You're identifying yourself publicly as a follower of Jesus. So if you've prayed and invited Christ into your life, maybe today for the first time, we'd love to hear about it. I'm going to stick around up front here for a bit. You can let me know that. Um, or if you want to contact the church office, uh, office at pbcexchange.com, you can send an email. Um, if you'd like to be baptized, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll set up the time, and uh, we'd love to help you uh, make that proclamation public. Um, and again, whether it's recommitting your life to Christ or whatever. Um, next Sunday, as I mentioned, it's actually Palm Sunday, but today I kind of wanted to kick it off because next Sunday, Pastor Eric is going to speak about Barabbas as we're